I would like to thank three sponsors for this episode of Craft Sanity. Mixtapezine.com, a zine about making time for the small things. Tracy Hudson, a crafty mama who sells sewing pattern downloads, dolls, and play food at MyHouseBoutique.com and blogs at MyHouseBoutique.TypePad.com. And Rena Ward, creator of Nostalgems, a lovely online shop featuring jewelry-making kits, notions, and curiosities at Nostalgems.Etsy.com. Learn how you can win one of Rena's kits after the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 91 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. This will be the last show of 2008, and I'm really excited to welcome Alicia Polson back for a return visit to talk about her new book, Stitched in Time, Memory-Keeping Projects to Sew and Share, from the creator of Posey Gets Cozy. So if you haven't already, I invite you to listen to my first interview with Alicia. That was episode 17, because our second conversation builds on the first so if you want to hear how Alicia got into her crafty lifestyle and started her business and all that, we cover that on the first episode. And for those of you who don't know, Alicia is the creator of Posey Gets Cozy, that fantastic blog. And she also has an online shop where she sells her handmade goods, a lot of sewn and embroidered and crochet patterns and, and just some really lovely goods. It's really wonderful to see her now joining the ranks of other talented crafters out there who've come out with books. Well, she puts herself into it, so much of herself, in fact, that it's um, a wonderful carryover from her blog. And she has some lovely written pieces in there to kind of uh, set the scene and inspire all of us here at home to sit down and, and really take the time to make some wonderful presents for the people in our lives that we care about. As I said, we're going to pick up here in this episode where episode 17 left off, and we're going to cover the insider story of what it took to put together this lovely book published by Potter Craft. And just for a little background, Alicia is 39 now and still living in Portland, Oregon. Alicia's Posey Gets Cozy blog continues to inspire. Whether you know all about Alicia or this is the first you're hearing about her, settle in with a project for an inspiring chat. Then stick around after the interview to hear how you can win a copy of Alicia's book. I just want to congratulate you on your lovely book, Stitched in Time, memory-keeping products to sew and share from the creator of Posey Gets Cozy. And that's you. Thank <laughs> you. Sorry I interrupted you. No, that's you. no problem. I was so excited to get this book. And when I paged through it, I'm like, oh, my, this is just perfect. This is like exactly what I would expect you to put together. And I'm in love with the project on page 39, the memory game. My daughters are getting this for Christmas. Oh, yeah. And it's they're three and four, so I think this is going to be a perfect game for them. Mm-hmm. And using photos and the whole, and we'll kind of tell people basically it's a, a homemade version of the game of memory where you give great instructions for how to use family photos and make a personalized game. What can you tell us about this wonderful book experience? Oh, thanks, Jennifer. Um, gosh, I, I you're really perceptive. I mean, I feel exactly that way about the book too. That it seems like a very accurate and comprehensive reflection of all the things that I care about as far as crafting goes. And I feel really grateful that I had the opportunity and the freedom to really do it the way I wanted to and say it the way that I wanted to say it. At times, I mean, I'll admit, during the making of it, you feel a little bit overwhelmed because it's a lot of responsibility to kind of be in charge, I guess, of so many different aspects because I really did have a lot of freedom to make the book into whatever I wanted it to be. I'm grateful to Pottercraft for that. And although sometimes those can be sort of scary waters because you're like, uh, I hope I'm making the right decision. You know? <laughs> right. At the end of the day, I, I do feel like it's a really accurate reflection of who I am and what I care about and where I am right now. So I don't think I'll ever have the opportunity to make a book that's exactly like that or is as sort of, I don't know, I I feel like it really captures the spirit of things that I've thought about for a long time but never really articulated. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm proud of that. I'm I'm really glad that it that it took that shape. It didn't necessarily always have that shape. Kind of late in the game, the title changed. 
Oh, really? What was the original title? The original title was Stitched Souvenirs, Memory-Keeping Projects to Sew and Share. For various reasons, the publisher didn't like that original title, so that changed. But they also decided to incorporate the name of the blog into the subtitle, which, frankly, the blog wasn't a huge part of the book as I conceived it. And what it required, once they decided to do that, I kind of went back and wrote the introductions to the three sections. The book is is organized in three sections. The first is for the little ones, and that's for babies and kids. And the second section is for every day, and that's, you know, as its title suggests, stuff to use around the house, daily living. The third section is for special occasions, and that, too, is pretty literal. Um, mm-hmm. But I wound up writing pieces to introduce those three sections that... Um, to me, at the end of the day, really felt very similar to some of the ways that I'm able to write on the blog. Every once in a while, I feel like I can articulate how I feel about stuff. And there were, I think, four sidebars that came really late in the uh, in the process, too. And um, a couple of them are about, like, labeling your quilt or your stuff, and another one is about collecting um, vintage notions. But the other one about photography and the other one about making handmade gifts, those, the writing there was really personal to me and, again, I think kind of, like, gave me an opportunity to really uh, sort of summarize, you know, some of these, kind of major themes, I think, in my own crafting and in my own life. And so, although when the title changed, I kind of had to scramble. It wasn't, it was sort of not, it came so late that it was hard for me to reframe everything, and I and I kind of had to um, uh, think pretty quickly <laughs> to make it work so that, you know, the book, the contents of the book truly reflected what the title was suggesting. But after I wrote those pieces, I felt like the whole thing kind of came together in a way that I hadn't expected and I was really happy with because I think previous to writing those introductions, it was pretty much just a book of projects. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt like, for me anyway, uh, being able to write those things as a result of wanting to make sure the title was, you know, accurately reflecting the spirit of the book just really helped it all come together in my mind and feel like a true collection, you know? Well, and the beauty of it is that I couldn't tell. Like, when I read it, it didn't seem, like, disjointed or, wow, this must have been a last-minute change. Oh, <laughs> I mean, no, had I had no idea. It feels like that either. Yeah, I had no idea. And, and so how do you feel about it now? I can imagine it was very stressful at the time, but now that you've had time to, you know, it's over and the book's out. Looking back, are you glad that you were able to do the more writing than you Super originally? glad. Yeah. Yeah, and even as I was writing it, it came out so quickly. Um, I mean, I wrote those pieces just in a, in a sort of creative you know, trance. I felt like I had thought about that stuff so much, but I hadn't necessarily written it before or articulated it. There were there were very few drafts. I mean, it was just sort of like, boom, I spit it out. They didn't change it. That's great. <laughs> you know, it kind of was what it was. And I, I, that's, that's sort of how my process is. I think I internalize a lot of stuff and it's kind of floating around in my, I don't know if it's my subconscious or my unconscious. It's in there somewhere in a way that I don't necessarily recognize, but when pressed, I can, um, I try to find the words, just sort of circumscribe and articulate the emotion and the motivation behind the process. And I don't know, for me, that just feels satisfying. Well, and I think it, it gives something to the people that are familiar with your blog and the people who have been following your work for years. For them, I think it's going to be much more satisfying to pick up a book that not only has great projects that you've come up with, um, but to have more to read from you, because that's what they love about your blog, too. And so I well, think that's... I, don't, I don't think what I think is unique at all, either. I mean, we all respond to... I mean, most of us, whether we even know it or not, or talk about it or not, are kind of 
crafting, I, I think, for many of those exact same reasons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes when you read something or you find a way to say it, there's this sort of funny moment of recognition, you know, where right. you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Or, you know, that's why I do it, too. I just didn't know that or or whatever. So I don't, I don't feel like anything I'm saying is particularly unique, but I recognize a lot of you know, what goes on in myself and my conversations with other people and in reading blogs of other people or work of other people. And I know that there are some distinct and emotional themes behind why we all love to do this kind of stuff. And hopefully this will, by reading this, people will kind of maybe look at their own life and, and think about that because sometimes we just do things and we don't really analyze it. So, um, well, I think it's, it's a great success. I mean, I think this is really wonderful. What was your biggest, and, and you did beautiful photography as well. Thank so you. this, the craft book authors out there who are doing their own photography are really, I think you guys are putting some photographers out of business because you guys are doing great work. <laughs> yeah, these are and wonderful. And does that, that's got to make the, the experience all the more personal too, when you're out there taking pictures and I mean are the people in the in the pictures people in your life yeah it was kind of a funny model gathering adventure you know some of the people in the book are either related to me or very close to me and then some of them are just friends of friends I was really striving to I don't have that many models in the book but I was really striving to get a range of genders ages ethnicities and I just don't know that many people so you know (laughs) I just kind of relied on I kind of started asking a couple of my friends it really wasn't that hard you know people were interested and none of the people in the book are professional models that was like hey can you bring your kid over for you know a couple hours and I'm going to take her picture and my publisher's first reaction was like um well, the children look slightly reluctant. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. That's because they just got here. I've never seen them before. You know, they didn't know me at all. So they'd sort of come in and look completely terrified. Oh, so your publisher was there at your house? Um, yeah, I think, um, let's see. The kids that I knew, uh, we, I was at their house. Oh, okay. So your, your publisher was reacting to photos. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 And it was true. Like the photos of the little baby, she's sitting in front of the quilt, <laughs> uh, or she's sitting in front of the mobile, and then she's holding the quilt. That was such a pensive baby. She <laughs> she just kept staring out the window sadly. <laughs> and she'd sit there and hold her stuffed animal and think about things, you know. And we, so she was like a deep her mom thinking was child. Trying to get her, you know, to smile. I mean, we did everything we could think of, but. You know, she was just sort of in that kind of a mood that morning, and and that's kind of what we got. But you know, they're charming to me. I I think they're adorable. Well, to me. I think it, in a way, it's animal and kind of pulling on its eyeball. Is- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all the more realistic. I mean, because that's how kids really are most of the time. Is they're they're not like all cheesy in front of the camera. You know, I mean, they're they're being themselves. So well, yeah, you know. and you know, I I have to admit that there were lots and lots and lots and lots of pictures that were taken at all of those sessions that were just, you know, horrible. I mean, <laughs> the one for the townhouse growth chart uh which is the little boy standing in front and his dad is kind of measuring him and mm-hmm. the other little boy who's standing next to him is his little brother who came along because they didn't have a babysitter and <laughs> The littlest brother just could not stay out of the picture. I mean, he was not supposed to be in the picture, but, you know, finally yeah. we just sort of gave up and and let him be in the picture because, um, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. But honestly, that picture that we used in the book was, I think, one of maybe two out of a hundred that actually oh my <laughs> worked out. So I guess it was session, much more challenging so. than I'm... Uh, What's that? I guess it was more challenging than I'm uh, giving... Because, I mean, the photos look great, the ones that you picked. So, um, yeah, I'm, well, yeah I, I'm not looking at the outtakes yeah, <laughs> to realize. And, you know, the fact is that I'm not used... To, and I'm probably a lot of bloggers, well, craft bloggers, aren't super used to taking pictures of people. I could take a picture of a still life pretty easily and feel, you know, satisfied with that. And in fact, some of the final photos that made it into the book were just sort of like um, real quick shots that I would set up of work in progress to show my editor, you know, kind of while we were 
throwing things together because they don't, you know, we had a proposal that had some, you know, possible projects that would be in the book, but then when you start working on the book, those things change and you want to kind of keep everybody informed. And so I would just sort of shoot them off quick, um, you know, essentially snapshots of stuff. And sometimes those I felt came out actually better than later images that were taken where we worked really hard to set something up and, you know, (laughs) and really in several cases, the, just the quick spontaneous still lifes were better, I thought, than, uh, the ones where we tried really hard. So you just, you never know. Well, it sounds like overall this was a a good, a relatively good experience for you, though the book um, experience. Yeah, it say? was yeah. really good. I mean, I learned a lot, and it was in almost every way too fast. Well, so when did you really start working on your book? Complain about the process is that you know I really wasn't able because I wasn't necessarily looking to do the book. It kind of came in my direction when I had other stuff going on, but. When I heard, um, you know, what the publisher was looking for because they had suggested that they were interested in doing a book about memory craft, and that was sort of all I knew, I thought, oh, man, I think that's my book. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't have thought of it myself. I didn't necessarily see my work in that way, and I definitely wasn't sort of in a – because I think the book kind of came along right after the first of the year. That's when they first started talking about it. Uh, I had like, you know, 14 other things I was doing and I wasn't really in a position to take on anything else. But when stuff like that happens, you're just like, ah, I've got right. to make this work, you know. <laughs> so I didn't really, after all the negotiations and the proposals and the contract and all that stuff, I didn't actually get to start working on the book until June. Oh, wow. And then it was due in September. Oh, my goodness. So it was pretty fast. It was It was pretty overwhelming to do, you know... I think maybe there are a few exceptions, but almost all of those projects are totally original to the book. Um, A couple of them I drew on different items in my product line that I kind of reorganized or tweaked to fit more specifically with the theme of this book, but the basic, you know, shapes and uh, construction were the same, but that was probably only two or three projects. The rest of them were brand new to me, so you find yourself in this position where you're kind of developing a project but it's also the final project. <laughs> you know, it's like the draft project and then the sort of middle draft and then the final one all in the same project <laughs> so um there was a lot of pressure to just sort of get everything right from the get-go because there just simply wasn't time to you know fool around with it a whole lot you just had to keep going i mean every, on every every day we'd be doing when I say we, I mean sort of Andy, because he helped with, you know, the photography helped with lots of stuff, and he helped kind of keep this place going, got everybody fed and, you know, dishes done and all that stuff, because I was just, I was pretty overwhelmed by what I was doing. And it was kind of physically challenging for me, too, because I don't have the same physical ability that, you know, regular peeps do. So um, even doing photo shoots or kind of walking around the mall, you know, trying to find clothes for the models or getting props and locations and all that stuff was pretty physically challenging for me. And we so. probably should, um, not to interrupt, but we probably yeah. should, if someone um, doesn't listen to my advice at the beginning of this episode and decides to jump right in and listen to this episode, they won't have the perspective of knowing what, when you talk about your physical limitation, mm-hmm. can you briefly just tell them what that is? Yeah, good point. Uh, I I was in a car accident where I was run over and I have a reconstructed foot. So my foot is pretty fragile and um, doesn't like to do a whole bunch of stuff. So I have kind of a finite number of steps, happy steps that I can take on any given day. And once I go past that limit, um, things just kind of go downhill from there. And, and, And luckily every morning when I wake up, I feel pretty good and my foot feels pretty good and we're sort of ready to get back at it again. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, on a, on a, like through the course of the day, things kind of get harder and harder physically. It kind of feels like walking on a broken ankle or something oh, like that. So, yeah. Um, so that makes just, the, you know, the running around, you know, in the background trying to get all this stuff together for yeah. photo shoots a little more challenging than it would be otherwise. And well, it's funny. I was watching a show about, the monarchy the other day, um, and it was on OP, or on PBS, 
and they were taking this, they had Annie Leibovitz taking a picture of the queen to commemorate some visit that she was doing. I don't remember what the specifics were. They're not important. But uh, so Annie was flying out to the, to London to take a picture of the queen. And she had this um, kind of half an hour window of opportunity to do this. And they flew her out like a couple weeks before so that she could, uh, see the locations and check the clothes and do all this stuff and and uh, so she's walking around with the lady in waiting and they're looking at everything and then on the day when she finally arrived to do the actual photo she had and I mean this is literally only a half an hour she had 11 assistants with her oh my goodness <laughs> and, I was, and I was just sitting there like I totally get that like <laughs> Yeah, you know, you, I would need every single one of those people if I had my druthers. You know, yeah. it's just you forget, and unless you kind of in the middle of it, um, photo shoots and that kind of stuff, it's intensely physical. So, um, you know, those were the things. I mean, I think if we had had more time, we would have been able to space that stuff out a little more um, reasonably. Well, I think with uh, given the fact that you didn't have 11 assistants um, and you weren't flown out two weeks ahead of time to <laughs> make sure everything was cool, <laughs> I think you did pretty good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no wonder Annie's so good. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, you know. <laughs> but you know what's so funny about that is you have to get, as a photographer, you have to get to the point where you're you're really good to start with before they'll give you the 11 assistants. That's right. You know? So you kind of have to earn the right to get the 11 assistants. But um, So I wonder how she, you know. What it was like before she had 11 assistants, you know. Yeah, because none I of us have probably ever. A very vast majority of photographers would, you know, give anything to have 11. Yeah, I think one assistant have, you know, would be none, great too. Or maybe one. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, that's what it is. You just sort of find a way. So when you said this um, book proposal came to you, I think maybe what we should try to do is backtrack a little bit because I know last time we talked, I want to say it was like two years ago, uh-huh. um, at least two years ago. And um, you at that time were doing, your, you were writing your blog, you had your uh, your online shop where you're selling handmade goods. You also had um, a store that you were, you had a partner in, yeah. in that business. Mm-hmm. Now, where are you still doing that business and what, what's going on right now? No, we closed the store in, I think it was August, late summer of 2006. Okay. So now it's November 2008. So yeah. So that was a little over two years ago. Um, after I closed the store, my, I had a partner in the store, and she was kind of going in a different direction, and I was feeling like my online business could have kept me busy full-time, but I was spending the vast majority of my time at the store where I didn't have a studio. I, I couldn't, it was a very small space, so there was really just very little that I could do. I see. In terms of my own creative stuff while I was at the store, although it would have been a perfect opportunity because the store was very, very quiet and no one ever came shopping there. So um, it was tough. We had a weird location. We had a store inside another store. Okay. And that was what we could afford. Um, that was sort of like where we were in that adventure. We, we actually had two stores. Our previous location was a store within a store as well. Um, and we stuck when the store that we were in moved to a different location. We kind of moved with them. I see. And for a while, it went. It was going really well. Um, but then it just kind of got slow. And like so many other small, independent, brick-and-mortar locations, we just felt like the overhead, even though it was about as low as you could imagine, was still more than we could um, absorb and still make a profit. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So we closed the store. No regrets about that at all. Um, I think retail kind of has to be your, your passion, not necessarily like just the content of what that retail is, but you have to really be, I think, extroverted. And I'm, uh, incredibly on any personality test introverted. Um, and that means that I, I really like to spend time by myself. I get energy, I think from time alone, as opposed to time with other people. And that proved that really bore out as the years of owning a store kind of went on for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I started really missing, um, 
having my independence and, and freedom because you're pretty chained to that counter. Right. You can't like go out for a couple no. hours to get supplies mm-hmm. because someone might come in yeah. during that time. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you were able to, so when you closed the store, um, did you immediately just kind of ramp things up with your own production of, of goods in your, in your home studio? Um, yeah, I mean, I moved into doing that full time. So that was August and I think I was kind of getting ready for fall and, and did a few things for winter and I was still really, uh, making one of a kind original pieces that I sold individually. So I was making a ton of different stuff. I mean, it takes a ton if you're trying to make a living. Oh yeah. You have to make, and you crochet, you sew, um, what other types of things? And you embroider? Yeah, I was mostly sewing. I think the things that I would wind up making for sale, um, were mostly machine sewn, occasionally crochet, but I was mostly concentrating on patterns when I was doing crochet because those you can reproduce right we're crocheting if you crochet every item you're going to be yeah, yeah it's going to take forever no way. so yeah you kind of look at all that stuff and you're like well what should be a pattern what's more cost effective you know as a pattern as right to, um you know an individual handmade item that you're selling you know direct to your customer and and for a long time it had occurred to me that um or had been really trying to develop ways where I could capitalize more on the individual idea that I had. Um, when you make something and then you sell it, it's sort of like over with, you know. Right. You're, um, you're limited, I guess, as to how far that idea can really take you. But when you, you're also kind of limited if you're just making handmade things to sell directly by you know, the materials you can afford to use, how much time you can put into that thing, how complicated it can get. Um, And I started kind of just resisting that whole approach. I wanted to just design things that were as good as I could make them with materials that, you know, were the best that I could find. Um, That, you know, the, the final price of that item didn't necessarily dictate what I could use in it or how much time I could spend on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you're developing a pattern, you're just sort of like, at least the way I do it is I just kind of go for it. I just try to make the best, coolest, you know, thing that I can. Right. Um, And there's a lot of freedom in that. I mean, my designs really change. Your designs really change when you're developing patterns because they can be anything um, as opposed to developing products that you're going to sort of try to mass produce, but, you know, you're just one person. So um, I started just feeling like this was a good opportunity for me to, you know, start developing ideas that could be, you know, written down as patterns and reproduced um, and sold many times over. And that was, that was just the next logical step because, um, you know, selling things one at a time wasn't really paying the bills necessarily either. I could sell what I made, but I just couldn't make enough right. to make a big enough margin um, to have it all make sense. So then, you know, I had a conversation with a couple of book agents in the win- in that, that winter and late fall and winter, and I sort of started to get my mind around the idea. I, I kind of thought I might do a book someday, um, but I really didn't have any specific plans to do one. Um, and then an agent called and said that uh, the publisher was looking for a book about memory craft, and I just jumped on it. And that was really the only, I mean, they didn't have specifics about it. I developed the whole idea and the proposal and the specifics of that and the actual projects and the, you know, sort of overriding theme. Um, so I, when I sent in a proposal, it was a totally traditional complete proposal. You know, you go down to the library and you get a book and you see what parts and pieces are required for a book mm-hmm. proposal and that's what <laughs> I did. And um and then they accepted that, you know, complete proposal. So um by you know, I think April we had a contract and I was working on it a little bit and then again, like I said, just started full force finishing up all my other stuff that spring because I still had just 
I don't even know what I was doing. I can't remember. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty long time ago now. It'll be almost two years this year. Right, time. right. Um, uh, yeah, and then just kind of, it takes over your life. So you don't really have a lot of time to do, um, I mean, I was blogging because that was sort of, that's a nice little daily vacation for me in a way. Um, but the weird, you know, working on a book is, well, I don't know, is blogging is kind of antithetical because you can't share what you're doing. Right. And that's the biggest, and that's what you're doing all day long. Yeah. You have to kind of, so how'd you come up with stuff, other stuff? Cause you I have, have no to... idea. <laughs> I don't know because I, I don't remember thinking about anything other than the book. <laughs> <laughs> so you had <laughs> to like. entire summer. But like I said, I, there must have been, you know, just an hour or two of every morning. I get up really early, so um, I would say between, you know, somewhere between six and eight, I'm sitting with my coffee, um, you know, maybe looking through pictures that I took the day before. And and it's never really a matter for me of trying to think of something to say. It's kind of like uh, blogging is still pretty easy, but it is difficult to not, um, I mean, for me, it's difficult not to spill the beans all the time, because if it were me, you know, I'd just blab about it all, all day long. I mean, that's just my... Well, especially know, when you're excited about it. way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of hard to to keep all that stuff secret when it it's such a huge part of your life, and um, you, you know, there's probably a lot of pictures of food during that time. There's probably a lot of pictures of the dog during that time. Well, I remember hearing that you were doing a book and it was before your book came out, but I don't remember how I heard. Did you, at what point did you share it on your blog? Cause I can't remember how I even got word of this. I think that as soon as the contract was signed. Cause I think you told people you were working on something. Yeah, yeah I probably did. I can't remember. I mean, it was, it was sometime in the summer and I think, you know, it, People definitely knew what type of book I was working on and stuff, but, um, you know, for good reason, your publisher doesn't want you sharing um, the intimate details right. of the projects because then everybody's sick of them by the time, you know. <laughs> right. Well, like, yeah, you want to keep make people surprised till yeah. when they open the pages. They want to yeah. be able to, that's the fun of it. It's like yeah. a present. But in practice, you know, it's challenging. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean... I have a lot to say, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if you can't talk about the major element that's going on in your life right then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I, but I, I, I feel like I talked about the process when I needed to um, and sort of tried to, to, you know, when I'm writing the blog, I'm always just sort of trying to get a grip on stuff myself, you know. Right. Um, and so, and, that, and I always find that really helpful, I could sit down and uh, sort of reorganize my mind around certain issues or certain struggles or just kind of expressing them is valuable to me because you, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming most people who work at home and in a creative industry and especially people who are making books, um, you know, it's very solitary it, I mean, at least in my case and many other people that I know, it's not like you have a, a team hanging around all the time where you can, <laughs> uh, you know, talk about what's going on or get through stuff together. And and I really miss that. I mean, I I when I worked in an office, um, you know, the best part about that for me is just the community and the friendships that you make there and kind of getting through those daily crises um, as a group is a whole lot more fun than getting through daily crises, you know, as a lone wolf. And so for me, the blog um, kind of mitigates that feeling of just sort of working in, in isolation so much. But you've been blogging for a long time now, too. How long has it been? Um, I think it's been... Uh, a little over three years. And so you have uh, quite a following, which probably your publisher is very happy about that, probably, because you can get the word out to a lot of people about your book. So you have kind of a built-in audience. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. I don't think about it too much. Um, But, yeah, when you go to to publish your book, they will ask you, you know, (laughs) what your stats are and stuff. I, I... 
just avoid all of that stuff for my own, you know, in my own personal life. I never look at those numbers. I never think about the stats. I just, um, I'm just sort of happy working in my own little vacuum. Yeah. It can almost be, I think a little bit weird too. If you, if you start, cause I still, when I've podcast, I still think that I'm talking to what we're talking and maybe like maybe five or six other people can hear us <laughs> mm-hmm. because if I thought about all the people that listened, I mean, I, that would freak me out a little bit. I think. Yeah. No, you just never think about it. And yeah. I think if I did, or in the times when I've had to, I just feel like, whoa, I think I'll just completely lose my nerve now. Yeah, because you um, almost feel like... You what, know, you make mistakes and you say stupid stuff. And yeah. Who wants to stop doing that? I don't. You know, yeah. I feel like that's... Um, there's so much about making books that requires you to get it right. And it's nice to have that separate place. Uh, and I really sort of work hard to keep that blog a place in my life where I can flail around and get it wrong and have people tell me that, and I'm okay with that. You know, I, I think it's important to have those spaces. Yeah, because I think it's, it and it's nice, too, to be able to go and, like, if you have a typo, because I, I blog late at night, which is terrible. I mean, it's probably the worst time to try to write. <laughs> it's when you're on your last brain cell, you know, of the day. I'm definitely not a perfect person. Yeah, so. everybody is. And, that, and, you know, anytime I talk to people about blogging, I just say the same thing over and over again, which is just do it. Right. You know, yeah, because if you, if you freak it, out too do much. It. Don't get too hung up on, um, you know, all the stuff that sort of comes along with it just because it's simply, I think, the nature of the medium, you know. Right. Part of you probably um, will always care that someone else is reading or, you know, of you will always care um, that, you know, you didn't sound too stupid when you said that or you weren't too wrong when you said that or whatever. (laughs) But, you know, the bigger part sort of just has to do it because you love to do it and it's serving, um, you know, just a, a different kind of purpose in your own life. And for me, that just tends to be, um, you know, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty personal and it's just it's sort of, it, it, it started and it, and I work pretty hard to keep it a place where I can just be myself. Well, and the best blogs are the ones that are authentic. You know, people are just being themselves because if you're trying to project something that you're not at people, I mean, the blogger, I mean, the, the blog readers out there, they totally tune into that real fast. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, blogs evolve too. I mean, I think, you know, as people do them, as you do it, it it turns into whatever it's going to be for you, mm-hmm. you know? That's true. Um, I think that's, you know, like with any creative process, you don't know when you start. You know, it sort of takes doing it and the cumulative effect of just kind of showing up every day. Um, eventually you sort of start to see what's special about it for you or what it, you know, what it really needs to be for you and all of that stuff. So I think... Um, you know, everybody's blog is always sort of in a constant state of evolving into um, whatever is going to make them happiest, Mm -hmm. I think. Well, and that's a great way, too, to experiment, uh, see what happens when you don't have other people setting rules or guidelines for you. Because I think a lot of people with day day jobs, like, just fantasize about, oh, what it would be like if I could call the shots. Do people send you a lot of email? Do you communicate with a lot of these people? They become friends of yours or... What is that relationship like? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, it's funny. I mean, to to uh, I've always considered myself as somebody who has a business. I've always been a little surprised um, that, well, like when the publisher wanted to incorporate the name of the blog into the book, I was just sort of bewildered, <laughs> really surprised by that. Um, so... For me, you know, I have to, I, let's see, I make things for a living and I, and I design things for a living. So it keeps me so busy um, just sort of trying to make a living that unfortunately I don't have as much time as I want to have to maintain some of the, you know, really great relationships and connections that come out of blogging. I mean, I always feel like if I had a few extra hours I would go back to actually reading, you know, blogs and 
just sort of being a participant in the community more than I'm able to. So, um, yeah, what happens when your numbers, you know, start increasing is the the volume on everything kind of starts increasing. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I don't really, I, I almost never answer comments, mostly because I never, I just don't have time. I mean, I guess the important thing to me is that I just keep blogging. I feel like I am participating in an ongoing conversation right? Um, in a collective sort of way. So I kind of made peace with that element of it a long time ago um, because, yeah, it is like sort of being the recipient of all of those um, voices can sometimes be overwhelming because I think it's just human nature to want to respond, you know, right, right. Um, in kind. And people are so generous and so, so, um, gosh, you know, it's, it's, it can be challenging to respond in kind, I guess. Maybe a lot of people are like this, but I sort of feel like I, I'm, I'm good at staying connected with, sort of a certain number of people, you know? Right. And then it gets, yeah, once it gets bigger than that, but yeah. And I know for me, I'm really big on like connecting and trying to remember people's names. And, you know, when I see people I'm out in the community, I I try to, you know, and then when you get to the point where, um, you know, you, (laughs) you you realize that more than five people are reading your blog or listening to your podcast. And then it, it, I still want to have that mindset of like, oh, well, I, I should be able to connect with all these people still and respond to every email and really do it quickly. And it, I, I'm, my mind is kind of, I've lost sleep over that too. With your book tour too, is it you're kind of, I know you're going to, it looks like you're kind of sticking close, pretty close to home, but are you going to out of state? It's not a massive book tour by any stretch. I don't fly, so it really limits the way that I'm able to travel. I'm going to Seattle by train in December possibly down to San Francisco by train and possibly in this next year, I don't know, I haven't actually been back to Chicago in eight years, possibly taking a big train trip back east. And so it's it's possible that we'll have some events sort of coincide with that trip if I, if I do manage to pull it off. Well, have you had some events already closer to home? Yeah, we had a signing at Powell's Books. How are the, how's that going? I mean, when people come out and you're actually, it's different than blogging because you're actually seeing people face-to-face who know about your work and you might not know them. You know, they're kind of yeah, coming out. I mean, what is I, that like? I, I think having the store gave me some practice for that. I'm, you know, notoriously the world's worst public speaker. I get so nervous. I'm sure my family just sits there, like, freaking out because they don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> like, I, they probably, you know, feel really, really happy for me if I don't start crying because that's oh, one of no. my special powers. Oh, no. <laughs> I, mean, I get really nervous and it's always been a problem for me even in school if I had to stand up and give a book report or something. You know, oh my goodness. A total nightmare for years when I was in graduate school and I knew I had to give a reading you know just to graduate for two years I think I thought about it every day. Oh my goodness. So, so this is hard then. The book tour is harder than it would be if you loved public speaking, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I I, love talking to people. I like, I had a lot of practice, I think, in the past couple of years when I did have the store um, because so many people would come in every day and we'd have, con- you know, you'd just have conversations with people that you'd never met before. Right, I right. I mean, that was just so unusual for me. I, I really had not ever been in a position to have to do that. So, um in some ways, I got a little better at it just because of the store, and I was a little bit used to having people who, you know, maybe had been on the website or the blog or, um, you know, might know a little bit more about me than I knew about them kind of show up at the store and introduce themselves, and we get to talking and stuff. So I always loved that. I mean, that was totally fine. I just hadn't done it in a while, so when I, <laughs> you know, had to do the book signing at Powell's, I got really nervous again because I just feel like I've kind of been working at home in isolation with my dog and my cats. And how'd it go? That that book signing would. I don't know. I mean, I survived it. I don't think I did it very well, but um, you know, nobody left in disgust. I guess so. I was, yeah. I did was you do? A, did you do a reading from it <laughs> or something? Cool. You know, you look out there and everybody's. And, you know, you see a lot of people that you know and family and friends who kind of um, are just 
happy for you and 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 being at Powell's is pretty cool because Powell's, Powell's is such an institution and and um you know for us anyway we have great memories I mean we spent a lot of time at Powell's very many happy hours at Powell's and and then just kind of looking out into the audience at people that you know you don't know that are just um showing up is sort of amazing I mean you just can't believe it so that is cool I mean in spite of how nervous I was or you know whatever how out of my element I guess I feel when I'm talking in front of a bunch of people you just sort of do remind yourself that you know this is a special occasion and um it's stupid to be so nervous that you're not enjoying yourself i think most people probably don't enjoy speaking in front of people but they you know can manage it and um i'll probably get a little bit better at, at it as i go along if I well i suspect it, I that i wasn't at the signing but i suspect that you're of just a, you know being critical of yourself i think you probably did fine so you know because people, I mean, people like your work, they like you. So I think, uh, you know, you have at least that going for you. I mean, I always feel bad when you go past, uh, like, you know, Borders Books or whatever <laughs> at the mall and there's a guy sitting at a table and he's written some, like, sci-fi or some real obscure title and you're like, and there's no one going up to get, I mean, and I'm just like, that is my nightmare. Well, you know? I know. And I, I come up with a book and then, It's like having a party. Like, and know, no I mean, one I comes. a party where nobody came and it was a total nightmare. I thought that was just an urban myth. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, so that was like, and I always feel like compelled to like go up and start a conversation with that person, like at the table by themselves, like, oh, so, so you write sci-fi, you know, (laughs) it's just like, I mean, I I don't have the budget, the personal budget to buy all these books that I wouldn't have, that I just really have no interest in. Um, And not to dog on sci-fi, I actually do like, there are some titles, sci-fi titles I do like, but, um, you know, I just, you feel terrible. And I'm just like, man, when I do a book, I really want it to be the right book. So did you have to put your shop like kind of on hold or were you still making custom stuff for people like like items to, by hand to sell while you're writing a book? Oh, that's a good question. I can't even remember. Um, I think I probably, I think I had a big sale before, um, you know, I really started working on the book at the end of June. I think I had a big like book bag sale, um, maybe in May cause they were sort of a spring summer item. So maybe April, May, in there, I I had a big sale, and that sort of you know then I survived on that money for the rest of the summer or whatever. But I don't think I was able to do anything other than um, book projects while I was working on that. Um, and then I think once I was done, then I probably did go ahead and try and do something else for Posey really quick because you know. I needed the money. Right. And that's the thing. I think that um, a lot of people, and I don't really um, believe, you know, I used to have this like real dreamy thoughts about books before I started doing this podcast. And now that I've interviewed a lot of authors, reality is set in for me that, what do you mean? I, before I was like, oh, what do you mean you don't get rich when you yeah. write a craft book? <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? And I, rationally, I kind of knew <laughs> that that was not the case. But, you know, we all like to think, wow, you know, you get a book and you're all set for the next 10 years. Well, what I'm finding, um, well, what I've learned a long time ago is that that's actually not the case. But did yeah. you find that for, and I don't want, and I, you know, it's just rude to ask people about how much they made and all that kind of stuff. And it's just inappropriate questions for, you know, and embarrassing. But if you can talk in general terms about if you're comfortable, um, when you, okay, so you go from, you have a big sale, you make, you know, make, make some money to kind of get you through the book writing process. But from a business sense, does this, did, were you, did you come out ahead when the book was over? Like, or if you would have been making things during that time, you'd have made about the same amount of money. Uh, I have to say, uh, I'm probably behind. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people say that. That's yeah, not okay, surprising good. at all. Yeah. yeah. No, it doesn't mean that you're like, <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, making books is, a labor of love, I have to say. Yeah, but it sounds like, I mean, would you do it again? If you, knowing what you know now about the whole process and everything, I mean, would you have gone through that again? Well, I I am doing it again. Excellent. (laughs) Okay, so what is your next book about? Okay, so my next book, and I haven't really mentioned this on the blog, um, because obviously, like, the contract for this book has sort of just been signed. Okay. But the first book is coming out, so I kind of wanted to, you know, stick with that first one. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Uh, but eventually, um, once I get myself collected and organized, um, I will tell people that I'm working on another book, and it is a book of embroidery projects. Oh, excellent. I love embroidery. I'm obsessed Thank with you. embroidery right about yeah, now. Yeah, also with Pottercraft. Um, and 
and it's a book of 30 projects that are uh, not necessarily evenly split, but um, kind of balanced between uh, regular embroidery, cross-stitch, and cruel work. Um, the book is turning out to have a very, very folky feel to it. I'm sort of being allowed to to put together essentially like my favorite things. Um, oh, that's there is cool. No real theme other than I love every uh, influence, um, or, or I should say, I'm I'm being allowed to research and sort of develop projects based on the styles and cultures who embroider that I really just love myself. I'm not trying to sort of do a comprehensive survey of embroidery by any means. I'm really kind of cherry-picking all my favorite stuff from Ukrainian cross-stitch to Scandinavian design to 70s cruel pieces, kind of reinventing those. Oh, excellent. Um, you know, Hungarian... Uh, folk embroidery, but it's turning out, I think, because this is sort of the way that my tastes are running, um, to be, to have a, a, a real folky flair. A lot of designs and and cross-stitch patterns and even embroidery templates and stuff are in the public domain. I mean, there's so many amazing resources out there that once you start researching you know, the history of embroidery, you're just, I'm just blown away. It's the most fun I've ever had crafting, doing, doing this research has just been the most fun. And then developing projects based on, you know, a lot of very traditional motifs, but trying to pair them with applications that really make them feel fresh and modern. And it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. I have a lot more time to work on this one. <laughs> yeah, well, when is this, when's your expected uh, publication date for that? The target publishing date for this book is, I, I can't remember if it's spring or summer 2010. Okay, so there's a little um, bit of time. The book for me is due in uh, the, uh, April 15th. Okay. So and I've have... been working on it for a couple months now already. So, you know, already it's just been a completely different experience. I think, one, because it's my second one and I sort of know what the experience is like now. And I, I definitely don't feel like I'm reinventing the wheel as much as I did the first time. Right. Um, just in terms of pattern writing and even figuring out, you know, what the template for the pattern is going to look like or whether we're going to have process shots or whether we're going to have, you know, illustrate, you know, just all of those decisions that um, you're sort of coming to cold on your first one, at least I was. Uh, I just feel like I know a lot more about what I want out of the um, the the organization, I guess. Well, it uh, sounds really patterns. it sounds really fun. And had you already started? Like, is this something you'd research personally before the, the book? I mean, I'm assuming you pitched this idea. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, is this something that you just had a personal interest in, the embroidery and like some of the history, tracing you know the different um, cultures, their their kind, your different types of embroidery back to the roots? I mean, have you had you done that already before you started this? No, not too much. You know, I had written an article for Hallmark magazine. Um, I can't remember. I think it was last. Spring. I, I can't remember when it came out, but um, I sort of told the story in that article of how I came to really rely on the activity of embroidery during the recovery uh, from my accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked so, about that last time too. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I hadn't talked about it in a long time, and and then I was asked to write the article, and it got me thinking. Um, about that time again. And the response that came in from that article, um, I was pretty overwhelmed by, uh, I think I got hundreds of letters and emails um, from readers of Hallmark Magazine that wrote after that. And it had always been my suspicion that there was a physiological sort of, um, that my body was having a kind of physiological response to the act of embroidery where it was truly, you know, mitigating some of the pain responses that I was having to just all the stuff that, you know, my body was going through as it was recovering from surgeries and essentially growing a new foot. Um, Embroidery was really the only thing that worked and helped me manage that pain. 
I think it works that way for lots of people. I mean, Mm -hmm. I literally think that, you know, it's doing something (laughs) in your brain, like so many other handcrafts, including knitting and, you know, probably anything where you're just sort of sitting there um, getting to focus on something so detailed and uh, repetitive. Um, For me, embroidery is just, it, it just works every time. Um, it's it's magic in my life, and I think everybody kind of maybe has their own, you know, their own thing that works for them. And and I just started thinking about that, and I thought, and so I started embroidering a little bit, uh, which I don't think I'd done in a couple of years. I don't know, it just wasn't a huge focus of mine. Um, I did a, a few embroidery projects in the book, um, but I hadn't really like sat down and thought about it in a long time. And when I really started thinking about it again, suddenly, you know, started thinking about why I liked it and what kinds of designs I liked. And once I started looking into the things that were sort of interesting me, I found this wealth of <laughs> of information and, and old books and old designs and um, just, uh, there's just so, there's so many more out there than, than I ever realized. Um, our library here in Portland has a pretty great old crafting section. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we're very lucky for that. Um, and, of course, being in Portland with Powell's, which has just an awesome uh, selection of used books, I really just started going backwards and looking um, at really old stuff. I mean, some from, you know, the late 19th century um, some, you know, going all the way up to the 60s. Um, but there are just, oh, countless patterns out there that feel brand new to me um, and just seemed so right for reinventing. So, yeah, it's been a, bl- it's a total blast. I love it. I'm having a great time. Yeah, well, it sounds like you are, and I can't wait to see that book because... Embroidery, I think, yeah, is embroidery is really hot right now too. I mean, I think it's you're you're coming, you're doing this book at a good time. Well, I designed a free download of some kitchen dish towels, and when we looked at the numbers of people who had clicked on that pattern and downloaded it, um, at some point, like a month later, it had received over twelve thousand hits. Wow. And that just completely shocked me. I think, um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people who are interested in embroidery. I think there are a lot of people who want to learn embroidery. It's such a great hobby. It's totally portable. Um, it doesn't take expensive supplies. Anyone can do it. It's very simple. It's just I don't know. There's just so many great things about embroidery. I feel like I'm kind of rediscovering it for myself as well. So, um, yeah, that happened know, to I, me recently too. And it was just kind of like, um, cause I, I don't use really kits or designs or anything. I just mm-hmm. kind of do my own or adapt. I've been really into embroidering my, my, uh, daughter's drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a whole quilt like this and it's so fun and it's mm-hmm. mindless cause you're in a way you're just tracing. You know, and with several designs, you just kind of, you transfer the image and then you yeah. just go yeah. and so fun. It's, it's such a cool medium, you know, it's, it's really, um, I mean, the possibilities truly are endless and especially when you start, uh, just sort of mixing techniques and materials, you know, um, I've got some projects that are using wool and cotton embroidery floss and, um, you know, linens or cross-stitch fabrics or ginghams. I mean, I don't know. There's endless number of permutations. Well, I think this <laughs> it's is hard be for me great. to even like 30 projects will be a cinch because I've got more ideas than I even have room for. So you have to have the second kind of edition or like that, a two part series. Pardon me. You have to have a, like a series of books on this topic. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Again, I really appreciate it. It was such a treat to get to talk to you again. Cause I, oh, I love your my work. pleasure. Thank you so much for calling. Thanks, Alicia, for chatting with me again and updating us all on your crafty life. I really appreciate that, and it was fun to hear how you're doing. We talked about it during the interview. I made the memory game for my daughters from Alicia's book, and I gave that to them as a Christmas present, and we've had an absolute blast playing it. It's so much more personal than playing the store version of the memory game. 
and really fun because I used all photos of my daughter, some of them together, some individual shots, and they're obviously very interested in the in the game because it's about them. So it's really fun. And because I really love Alicia's book and want you, dear listener, to get a chance to be inspired to stitch some memorable handmade items for your family and friends, very excited to announce a giveaway for a copy of Stitched in Time. Just post your favorite craft memory in the comment section below the write-up for episode 91 at craftsanity.com, and you can be entered into the random drawing for a copy of Alicia's book. The deadline to enter is January 10th, 2009, So, good luck, everyone. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Special thanks to the folks at Mixtape Zine. Mixtape is a zine about making time for the small things. Mixtape Zine is a collision of craft, echo cool, and pop culture kitsch. Order your copy at www.mixtapezine.com. And uh, just a side note about Mixtape. I've been a fan of this zine for a while, so... It was an absolute kick to get the folks at Mixtape to want to sponsor the show. So I appreciate that, ladies. Thank you. And it was kind of funny. I was reading the latest edition of this zine, and I was just kind of paging through, and I read an essay by a guy who sews. And I'm like, well, that's cool, you know. And then it turns out he's from West Michigan. So I haven't looked him up yet, but I thought that was really hilarious. And, like, the world is so small because I'm sitting here in West Michigan, and this is, a, if I remember correctly, a Calvin College student and I'm just like this is this is incredible. So Mixtape is based in Australia but yet their contributors are from all over the world so check it out if you haven't already. Uh, This episode is also sponsored by Tracy Hudson, a crafty mama who explores the handmade world with her vivacious two-year-old. Find sewing pattern downloads, handmade dolls, and play food in her online shop myhouseboutique.com and crafty tidbits at her blog myhouseboutique.typepad.com. This episode is also sponsored by Rena Ward, a New Zealand-based mother of two and creator of Nostalgems, a lovely online shop featuring jewelry-making kits, notions, and curiosities. Create your own heirloom-worthy treasures as though you've unearthed them from your grandma's jewelry box. With the bits, bobs, and time-worn treasures Rena offers at www.nostalgems.etsy.com. And check out craftsanity.com later this week to find links to all the sponsors. And also, I'll be posting about a giveaway that we're going to run with Rena. She's giving away five of her charm pendant kits. Log on later this week. You'll find a post about what you need to do to get in that drawing. So good luck to everyone. And thanks again to all the sponsors. I really appreciate your support. This is going to be the last podcast of 2008. Thanks for another great year, everyone. It's been my pleasure to produce these shows for your enjoyment. And I'm looking forward to a new slate of exciting shows in 2009, starting with an inspiring interview with Daniel Vasovic, a rising star in the fashion world, and he's a Project Runway finalist from season two. I met him when he was visiting West Michigan recently on a book tour, and he's actually from West Michigan. We had exchanged information and uh, recorded an interview shortly thereafter when he returned to his home in New York, and I really enjoyed this interview, and I think you're going to enjoy it too. I want to just thank everyone also who sponsored shows in 2008. I really appreciate it, and especially now that I'm inching toward making Craft Sanity my main job. As a print journalist, I'm facing a very uncertain future as newspapers downsize across the country and make cuts necessary to remain viable. I'm still writing my weekly craft column for the Grandpa's Press, where I've been on staff for more than 10 years, and will be Continuing to wear handmade aprons when I do weekly craft segments on WZZM's Channel 13 Take 5 and Company. It's a local morning show here in West Michigan, and I've been offered an opportunity to to come on and do a little uh, craft demonstration each week. And TV is something that I'm fairly new to. I've gone on the show about four times, and hopefully I get a little better each time. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of trying to kind of figure that medium out because it's not really something I ever aspired to, but it's fun. And I'll pretty much go anywhere to talk about crafts. I mean, in the submarine at the bottom of the ocean, I'd be like, oh, yes, I will do that. So anyway, I remain committed to promoting artists and crafters and doing my part to spread the love of craft to anyone who's going to listen. So if you have any ideas or suggestions for me, please, by all means, uh, send those to jennifer at craftsanity.com. And I really hope that you'll continue along this journey with me next year. So, um, again, any suggestions, um, blog article ideas, or project tutorials that you'd like to share on craftsanity.com, by all means, send those along and let me know what you're making. You have a new product out, a new book out. Don't feel like you have to go through a publicist to communicate with me. I 
talk to artists and makers directly all the time. So I'm happy to do that. I'm just as interested in people who are getting their start in the craft world as um, people who are established. So uh, don't feel that if you don't have five books out and you know a blog that's been going for five years that I'm not going to be interested because that's just not true. I think there's plenty of people at home that are super talented making things in the privacy of their own home. Maybe they don't even have a blog yet. You guys are making some cool stuff and don't feel like you have to be the next Martha Stewart to get my attention because I love to to find people who are kind of just getting started. And those who haven't told their story a million times, I really love to try to be one of the first to uh, do the interview. That's really fun for me. So keep that in mind. I hope you all have a wonderful new year and that all of us are able to make some really cool stuff next year. I wish you all the best in 2009, folks, and I'll be back very soon with some more episodes. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guest and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.